Hey everyone, welcome to Culture Dumps. It's Parks Miller with Ryan Lichten. Yeah. Bringing it to you raw and uncut. <laughs> well, not until the end of the episode when we get to the sex tape uh, aspect. Yeah. Uh, um, uncut, we- maybe. Raw, yes. I can't tell because it's a very grainy <laughs> video. Um, there. See? A dick right. joke within um, the first 10 seconds. Bam. We... um. We just wanted to say that we had a really nice response to uh, Tanya Harding part one. Um, really, yeah, just I think it's great because I guess everyone's not burnt out from the movie. And it's just a nice, we've had a nice response over it. It's a total dump. And I guess people, the the figure skating fandom and people is really coming out, I think, in the responses. And people really have a connection to figure skating uh, even if you're just a fan or someone that watched it on TV at the Olympics. And actually, I've got, I realize I have two friends that were uh, confe- uh, competitive figure skaters. Well, you don't have to brag. And, uh, I know and two I'm going competitive to... figure, figure skaters. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a brag. It's more like I feel like an idiot for forgetting and not consulting them when we were right. doing the first episode. But we're I'm going to arrange something to have them on as like a bonus episode. And... We're kind of the two morons talking about the the dump element, the right, pop culture yes. element of Tanya Harding. But then we're gonna have two friends who actually break it down. Are talking about how Tanya Harding affected the figure skating community, you know, because there's there's so much nuance and it's such a very particular you know, as any sports are, yeah, um, just very particular like world that you live in and how this something so big of course is going to affect you know that those yes. communities and that scene as well so uh that'll be like a really cool bonus episode for next week yeah and uh the nuance part like the here's the thing the bigger the dump the kind of you would think it would make it easier for us to research but it's actually harder because there's a billion different articles and like you know about all this stuff and we try and use the most reputable sources for for you know these episodes but the thing is is if there's like a hundred fucking articles written in a very short amount of time there's such differing uh information you know because one might but one article might have been written the second the news broke while another one might have waited for the details to clear. And then another one might have fact checked those. So it, it comes. So we're trying to bring you the most accurate of all this and it's going to get a little muddy, but that's what I meant by raw. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. That's what I meant by raw. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're bringing it to you raw. Yep. So pervert. just a little recap, Tanya Harding, where we left her, she got married. She overcame this lifetime of abuse. She landed a triple axel in competition, the first American to do this. I actually, I did say first female American. That was incorrect. It was just the first American period American. Um, in competition. Now, I also found out that uh, Mire Nagasu was the first ice skater, the first American ice skater to do that. At the Olympics, um, and that's because uh, well, we'll we'll get to it. But you know, Tanya is, was poised for the Olympics. She competed against Nancy Kerrigan. That's where we left you. So back to the ice. By late 1991, Tanya Harding was soaring high. She was married. She was the first American to land a triple axel in competition, and she had become an athlete 
athletic celebrity. I wanted to say athlete celebrity, and I couldn't decide if athletic or athlete. Either way, she's a celebrity. <laughs> While her performances at the U.S. Nationals and the World Championship were impressive and record-setting, she was not done. At the 1991 Skate America competition, Tanya doubled down and set three more records. The first skater to perform two triple axles in competition, the first to complete a triple axle in a combination, and the first to complete a triple axle in a short program. The triple axle became her signature. It was expected of her from this point on, but unfortunately, the move that became her golden ticket would also become her undoing. That's the thing. Like, she was the first to, to land that shit, and then Skate America happens, which again isn't on the same level as the U.S. Nationals, but it's kind of the next best thing. And she does two, and then does a combination, mm -hmm. and then you know yeah. does it in a short program as opposed to the headlining program, the long program. So that's her thing. But we'll see that the pressure to perform virtually, I don't know if there's a trick. Well, you'll have to ask the gals that you're going to have on you know, about this. I don't know if the triple axel is still the hardest trick in ice skating, but at this point in time, it fucking was. So, mm -hmm. the multiple triple axles Tanya landed at the 1991 Skate America competition would be her last. She would never again successfully land the trick that jettisoned her to stardom in competition. As the year progressed and the 1992 round of championship competitions loomed, Tanya's performance began to suffer. To make matters worse, her home life with Jeff Galuli was growing increasingly volatile. By this point in their relationship, they're having full-on fistfights. And Tanya is a fucking mm -hmm. athlete and a badass, so they're both coming out with black eyes, busted lips. And all this time, Tanya is training to be in the fucking Olympics. <laughs> so yeah. it's like as if she so didn't she have enough on yeah, her plate. She, we, she hasn't quite left the, the abusive relationships by any means. No, uh, no. Like I said in the last episode, you know, she left one bad situation for another, which unfortunately is often the case. So in June of 1992, Tanya filed for divorce from Jeff Galuli. Two days after the filing, she was granted a restraining order from her husband, which restricted him from entering not only her apartment, but any ice skating rink. Like, they were literally like, you'll just go to whatever rink she's at. And to keep you from fucking up competitions and everything else for her, because that's her bread and butter, you're not allowed to go to any ice skating rink. Now, Tanya said that the decision to divorce Jeff was made after she learned that he had purchased a shotgun. Now, that knowledge came to her after he had learned that she was filing for divorce. But it turned out he never purchased a shotgun. It was all just hearsay and threats and rumors and things like that. But it's but pretty still, serious there shit. was enough. There was oh, enough sure. going on to uh, for her to, you know, want to get. Get the hell out of Dodge. Absolutely. I mean, if this guy is. is beating you up, like punching you in the face, why wouldn't you think yeah. he would kill you, you know? So yeah. the next few months were great for Tanya. This is the few months after the, the divorce went through. She participated in a celebrity roller skating event. She got in tip-top shape. She spent a lot of time with friends and briefly dated a new guy. That was until she shocked her friends, family, and lawyers by announcing that she was getting back with, you guessed it, Jeff Galuli. There were so many chances to escape here and change the entire story. All she had to do was just leave Jeff out of the picture. 
But as we all know, abusive relationships, it's a push and pull thing. It's give and take. And it's they're very hard to leave, you know, for a lot of reasons. Also, you know, Tanya was not used to hearing, I love you and I'm sorry and I'll never do that again. It was always mm-hmm. just, well, this is what you can expect. So, you know, she, she let him back into her life. But it's really crazy to think that if she had just stuck to her guns, you know, and, and kept him out of the picture, we wouldn't even be having this episode. Sure. And that's how, you know, sometimes these things happens happen. But again, it is so in these situations, it can be so hard to fully just remove yourself from something yeah. that ultimately is is terrible for you. And yes, if she could if she had never had any involvement with this asshole, but you know right. that and then that's that's the the legacy, unfortunately, even though she was a really great, fantastic skater yeah. but the legacy is gonna be this for yeah the legacy the is the dump it's for the the attack yeah so. and i actually read uh this like long long interview in sports illustrated that came out in 1992 um and it was interesting because it was all about her the hardship she went through in life the bullshit with jeff like all, all this stuff and it was before the main scandal happened i'm i'm purposefully not saying what the main scandal was even though all you listening probably know everyone but it's it. <laughs> it's interesting reading an article where it's like oh wow this guy's like a total piece of shit and it's still two years away from like the major mm-hmm. fucking dump so tanya fired yeah. her coach Dodie teachman and announced that she would be coaching herself however just a few months later she rehired teachman Tanya skated at the 1992 U.S. Championship where she placed third after having to skate with a twisted ankle. Things would continue to get worse for Tanya. She had finally made it to the highest realm of ice skating, the Winter Olympics of 1992. While Tanya was more than good enough to make it to the Olympics, she was unable to secure a medal and she finished in fourth place. This harsh turn of events rocked Tanya to her core. While she was more determined than ever to come back and get the gold, she was becoming more prone to mistakes, a.k.a. falling during competition. It was after the 1992 Olympics that Tanya once again fired Dodie Teachman and began working with her original coach, Diane Rawlinson. Now, this is a like a blame game kind of a thing. She was falling. She had the twisted ankle in the competition. She's losing. Well, it must be the coach. It, it, you know, it can't be me because I know mm-hmm. I'm so good. Forget the fact that the second I get off the ice, my entire world is shit. You know, it has right. to be something that I can change without right. changing and then was, the guy that hits me in the face. And was she still Not to blame partying? Was she still partying? I mean, was well, she? Well, yeah. I mean, but partying is, you know, I mean, she's partying in the way that, like, we are, you know, she's not like slamming dope and stuff. She's just, you know, drinking and mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes and working mm-hmm. on trucks and listening to ZZ Top and stuff. She's not like a, she doesn't have a problem. <laughs> you know, her problem are the people working on life. trucks. <laughs> you put work on trucks in the party category. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it could be, <laughs> it could be listening fun. Listening to ZZ Top, definitely. It could be Listen. fun. Well, I feel like uh, you can't work on a truck without listening to ZZ Top and kind of vice versa. But um, here's the difference between the two coaches. Dodie, or Dottie Teachman, she was more of like an older sister. She was Diane Rawlinson's like second in command and kind of 
uh, Diane was kind of like Dottie's coach mentor. Whereas, you know, Rawlinson was the one that was like, no, Tanya, like, fuck that. You have to be like this. You have to be like these other girls. Like, you know, she kind of was controlling. That was Tanya's big problem with her. She tried to micromanage every aspect of her life, like off the ice, like stop smoking, stop drinking, stop hanging out with guys that hit you. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And Tanya was just like, fuck that. But anyway, she couldn't keep it together during competition, and it kind of made Tanya feel this extra pressure where she would have to make up for the last mistakes that she made. And if you're like, well, all I have to do is land a triple axel, the hardest fucking trick, you know, and, and you're under all this pressure and you're trying to force it, that's when you make mistakes and you fall. This, and, and this all is that. so much, this is so much pressure. You yeah, know? absolutely. These this is her ticket out, you know. Competing, you know. So 1993 would deal its share of blows to Tanya Harding as well. The downfall of Tanya Harding's skating career runs directly parallel with her relationship with Jeff Galuli. Tanya would work hard all year training for what amounted to just a few days of major competitions, but she was dealing with her abusive relationship every day of the year. Tanya finished in fourth place overall at the 1993 U.S. Figure Skating Championship, the Nationals. Uh, this was a particularly traumatic event for Tanya because she had to restart her program after a major wardrobe mishap. During, shout out to our uh, Janet Jackson episode, Wardrobe Malfunction. Mm -hmm. During her program, her costume unhooked itself, forcing her to stop and demand a do-over. Then, at the 1993 Skate America competition, Tanya had to stop in the middle of her program again due to one of her skates blades coming loose these mistakes costed tanya the coveted national titles and brought her back emotionally to the days of being the poor little white trash girl from portland who could never afford to have the proper gear and was who was looked down upon for everything other than her actual skill like all mm -hmm. this is like bringing up some ptsd in her because it's like you're at this upper echelon you went to the olympics you did you didn't when you finished in fourth, but you're still this top contender and you're still dealing it's, with not having good enough gear, not having good enough costumes. It, yeah. But it's also, you know, these series of mishaps, it kind of, and also with these athletes, I mean, they're, they're, um, you know, life as an athlete is relatively short. I mean, you know, you do acting or music. I mean, you can be doing that shit when you're 90 years old. Yeah. You know, with an athlete. I mean, the window is so short. Yeah. If Jack you know, Nicholson 30, played basketball, he would have retired a long time ago. We wouldn't be seeing him. Yeah. Now. No. But if you're if you're a dancer, if you're scared by, you know, 30, you know, it's kind of you're you're done. Yeah. And so it's, like it's kind of already this. It's a, <laughs> this hint of, uh, you know, being sort of being washed, washed up already. Right. You know, right. Well, and that's the fear, you know, before she even got to the top level, you know. So at this point, and this is like mid 20s. This is like her mid 20s, which again, yeah, I well, mean, it's, that's it's kind early of 20s. already starting to. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's already depending on how you look at it. And I mean, this is just in this world. I don't think yeah. you should feel washed out at all when you're in your mid or early 20s. But yeah, that's the, how it is with these because you're starting so young. Right, Two. exactly. You've been doing. She's been doing this since she was three years old. You know, so at this point, skating enthusiasts and competition judges began thinking of Tanya Harding as more trouble than she was worth. After her amazing 1991 performance, for her to start slipping up to the extent that she had to demand do-overs, especially over things as trivial as 
wardrobe or skate malfunctions was viewed as just plain unacceptable in the uptight world of professional ice skating. To make matters worse, there was a new star on the rise that was quickly captivating the imaginations of competition judges and the public alike, Nancy Kerrigan. I like how I'm making it seem like she's mm-hmm. the villain. And like, and then Nancy Kerrigan, something well, Nancy will, this way comes. I mean, I will say, and that's why I'm very excited to have uh, my friends on for an episode because I think that, you know, we're also we're ta- we're going to get into how the media portrays. You sure. Know, how, what does the media do with this instance? And uh, you know, depending on who you ask. There are not so great things to say about Nancy, and it's not necessarily that. You well, know, because we'll talk is, about those, but it's because, yeah, but that, yeah. but that's her personality. Like Tanya, she was just they just no one just like they didn't like the way she looked was was the whole deal. She wasn't like, yeah. I mean, Tanya was Harding was a pretty young girl, edges. you know, but um, uh, she wasn't like uh, the ice princess that the federation wanted to have as their champion but they couldn't ignore her skill and that's what tanya was fighting against her whole life in skates nancy so nasty nancy i don't know why i listed it like that but uh i know that you guys listening are anxiously awaiting the why heard around the world but before we get there and we are almost there we must give you a bit of background on nancy kerrigan Nancy Kerrigan was born October 13, 1969 in Stoneham, Massachusetts to a pair of loving parents who, like Tanya's family, struggled financially to support their daughter's ice skating. Kerrigan was the youngest of three children and the only daughter. Her first exposure to ice skating was through playing hockey with her brothers. Nancy described her childhood self as being somewhat of a tomboy, but by high school she fully committed to the role and expectations of being an ice princess. That's the whole thing. Whereas Tanya was like, I'm better at skating than these girls. I don't need to wear all this shit. I'm wearing these frilly outfits because that is the uniform for an ice skater. If it was up to me, I would not. Nancy was like, nope, I'm going to wear the makeup. I'm going to do the hair. I'm going to be pretty. Um, And we'll find out that that kind of shit fucked Nancy Kerrigan's head up in a different way than it did with Tanya. When you have such an old sport like figure skating ice skating and it's an institution um you know you you have a lot of time to kind of get very set in your ways and sure be very rigid and there's such an image of what a figure skater is right what they should look like how they should act and and then i mean this is reinforced by the actual you know the people that run the sports themselves yeah. because they they want to continue to portray this uh, because not only is it the brand, but I mean, it's going to be a lot of money when Olympics, you know, roll around. So you yeah, kind of, well, and it, it, in that way, it's very conservative, not like politically, but like conservative in terms of like aesthetic, you know, and everything else. Keep it. Don't change it. Just just keep it the way it's been. Right. I like it's how you said it. For hundred of years. Why change it? I like how you said it's such an old sport, like because last episode I talked about how like it has its roots in like 3000 BC, which got me thinking about like caveman ice skating, where it's just like, here goes Ugg. Will he do it? Ugg. Oh, he They're jumped the mammoth bone. But uh, they were anyway. probably doing like. <laughs> <laughs> the, don't laugh at that. It's stupid. <laughs> it was very stupid. I was imagining they were probably doing like, like ice hunting or something. They're probably I, like skating and like 
hunting at the same time yeah something oh like that Oli- like the best olympic sport in the in uh, the winter olympic sport where you ski and then you shoot a gun shoot, and then yeah, you do yeah. some other <laughs> shit that's crazy that that's a, that's the whole other thing so anyways as nancy's reputation in the ice skating world grew she was given several endorsement opportunities which tanya harding was not afforded and this this is very important included a revlon campaign as well as campbell soup we're going to play this Campbell Soup clip really quick from Nancy Kerrigan's uh, soup ad. Because soup is probably the most important uh, food group for ice skaters. In her quest for a gold, world-class skater Nancy Kerrigan always eats plenty of Campbell's chicken noodle soup. You see, a meal with chicken noodle replenishes nutrients and helps give her the energy to keep going. In fact, it helps give her so much energy, she's thinking of pursuing some other sports, too. I love that. It's like Nancy Kerrigan eats shitloads of chicken noodle soup. It's like, no, she doesn't. Uh-huh. Actually, we'll find out that she didn't eat a lot of uh, anything. But the uh, the reason why I said that the Revlon <laughs> campaign was a big deal is because on one hand, you have Tanya Harding, who has this reputation of being the rough and tumble gal who's uh, like where the odds were stacked against her. And she's going through this rough relationship that Sports Illustrated is writing about. And, you know, and she's very, you know, very open about her family life and sharp edges. The documentary had come out and all this stuff. And then you have Nancy Kerrigan in makeup commercials and like centerfolds and Cosmo and stuff like like this beauty queen. And it's Mm -hmm. like you couldn't ask for a better like, again, perceived rivalry, because according to Tanya, she didn't have any problem with Nancy. She even said that, like, no, sometimes we'd like bunk together, like at competitions. There's very little proof to that. But, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is they were around each other. They didn't hate each other. They compete against each other. You know, I think that these I think that these things uh, they do get. Because you're looking at two people who are rising stars and they're famous and, you know, the media does want to push it one way. I mean, that just made me think of, um, you know, Tupac and Biggie. And, yeah, you know, those yeah. two, they, this is they, just they, like were, Tupac they were, and Biggie. you know, they were, well, no, I'm just saying that they were, you know, friends. And right. then, you know, this one little instance, this one little hearsay, he, sh- he said, she said kind of leads to it. And then. Once the media kind of picked up on like, oh, there's this East Coast, West Coast beef, then they actually did start to really dislike each other right, and right. become rivals. But it didn't start that way. And it was in it was in part because of just their fame. And once you kind of once the narrative presented itself, that right. became more popular than even their music at the time. Can I mean, you now- imagine Nancy Kerrigan be like, that's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. <laughs> and like, she just does like hit him up like against Tanya. Uh, so I mean, kind of, <laughs> well, I could imagine, I could imagine Tanya doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah, exactly. But again, maybe that's just her image that we've all been. Yeah. You know, that we've all been to, brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. While Tanya had to overcome the shallow surface level expectations of the ice skating world in order to get the recognition she deserved, Nancy seemed to have been handed the keys to the castle in some ways, mostly due to, yes, her looks and traditional figure skater personality. Nancy took home the bronze medal at the 1992 Olympics, uh, one place above Tanya, by the way. Tanya came in fourth. Nancy got the bronze. Then at the 1993 U.S. Championships, she placed first over Tanya's fourth place. 
Despite this rise to success, Nancy's performance, much like Tanya's, began to decline. She came in 10th place at the 1993 World Games, which I guess is like a sub-Olympics. It's like we're still all going to compete mm-hmm. against different countries, but it's not the Olympics. Um, yeah. And she had told reporters, I just want to die when they asked her uh, how she was feeling after doing that poorly, which is funny. Like It's like I wish all athletes were as real as – Nancy and Tanya are with reporters like where it's like how do you feel instead of being like well you know I'm proud of the other athletes and you know hopefully I'll come back next year and uh, get another chance to show my stuff she's like I want to die so after seeking help from sports psychologists as well as taking a brief break from the public eye Nancy returned to skating and by the start of 1994 she was determined to go for the gold so at the end of 1993 Nancy starts ice skating again in competition she's doing a lot better also um it's interesting to note I forgot the title of it but within the last few years Nancy Kerrigan produced a documentary about eating disorders within sports. And that's something that she had suffered from because of the, the pressure on her to become this ice princess. And that's what she was going to sports psychologist for was for eating disorders mm. on the ice, which of course, if you're completely malnourished, you're not going to be able to do fucking crazy athletic shit. So that makes total right, sense. But there's, but that's what, and that's what's so wild about those because, but there's also just this image that you have to maintain, you know, right. this, this petite womanly figure that you right know, and so that yeah right exactly because um, it, it's it's not it's just about being why it's called why don't you lose five pounds i was gonna say that as a goof i was like what's it called why don't you lose five pounds <laughs> but that's actually what it's called that's the name of it oh so, yeah so i mean that sounds amazing we should do that on docudumps uh on patreon.com slash culture dumps yeah all right, it we're sounds here. Really intense, but yeah, it sounds yeah, it <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound that do fun. We've done we've done crazier stuff. Yeah, a lot of the docu dumps that we do on Patreon are not um, fun. So this is it. We're at the Y heard around the world on January sixth, nineteen ninety four, at the U.S. Championships in Detroit, Michigan. Nancy Kerrigan was leaving the ice after a practice session. The session was being filmed and the cameras followed her off the ice until she went behind a curtain leading her to the locker rooms. Within moments of exiting the ice and disappearing into the back area of the arena, a piercing scream echoed the halls. It was immediately discovered that a then-unknown assailant struck Nancy in the kneecap and took off running. Members of arena security, as well as other bystanders, went after Nancy's attacker, who, in a desperate attempt to escape the crime scene, crashed through a glass door, cartoon style, and disposed Mm -hmm. of the police-style baton used in the attack in a nearby bush. The cameras that had only been put down for mere seconds before the attack were suddenly focused back on Kerrigan, capturing one of the most iconic moments of the 1990s. Really, really hard. Help me. We're gonna get you 
The attack sent shockwaves not only through the ice skating world, but the entire world of sports as well. Who was behind it? And why, why, why did it happen? <laughs> this is this is very wild that it was recorded. That the fact that... <laughs> the only thing they didn't get on camera was the attack. I, I know, but yeah, it's... Um, I mean, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. We played a clip. But you have to watch it because, I mean, it's truly bonkers. And, you know, without – you almost don't – it's almost – you don't know what's going on. I mean, I know exactly what's going on. But if you don't have the context, yeah, it's so – It also seems like it strange. didn't hurt that bad, to be honest. It seems like she Jesus, took – it, it seems like she took, like, a shinner at the skate what? park. You know, when, like, someone's bored, like, runs into your shin. You're like, oh, why? But uh, but I, no, I know I it think, fucking hurt her. I know it was bad. Come on, I yeah, <laughs> <fucking> insensitive <laughs> prick. I think what it is is that it was probably just extremely shocking and traumatizing That's the biggest that it thing. happened. Yeah, because and that and that would even lead to that. Obviously, if it was you know something that was going to p possibly kill her, she might not be screaming you know why you know in a but it was obviously enough to be to that nancy was in pain and just kind of like yeah. the the what the fuck just happened but she didn't say what the fuck just happened she said why 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 so probably enough pain to you know say why yeah. but not enough pain to not like, you know to to shut be up just yeah screaming in incomprehensible language what but that's what makes it so compelling because it is just this what yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it feels like a movie. I don't know, some Shakespeare shit. To just you, it was a like, movie. Why? They made it into a movie. Why? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, exactly, because okay. it's. But I'm just saying that it really. It's kind of one of those great, candid '90s moments. Absolutely. That, but but because cameras started really becoming everywhere, it was captured. And I think we kind of talk about this sometimes with the reality shows, but then it kind of lays this sort of groundwork, this DNA of then now we're in this era where sometimes that shit gets staged because yeah. they're almost like, because it was so iconic that then you're like, well, I kind of want a little Nancy Kerrigan moment, but yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't staged, but you had the prominence of cameras becoming everywhere if you get what i'm saying everyone wants to be nancy kerrigan no one wants to get hit you know that's the problem but you now, gotta, like kim kardashian said you got to get off your ass and work yeah <laughs> and that's a great example because i think the whole the whole kardashian phenomenon is now there's cameras everywhere but every scenario while it's not like an actual line by line script every scenario has been tailored for a specific outcome right what if it? What but if instead still, of it being involved with like ice skating, what if the person that attacked her was like a hitman sent from Progresso Soups that was out to take out Campbell's spokesperson? <laughs> and he was like, like, and and that was like that. That was the whole thing. It was all about soup. It was like a soup war. So, all right, let, let let let's move on from this. So the U.S. Championships continued despite the clear possibility of meddling, and Tanya Harding won first place cementing her position on the 1994 u.s olympic ice skating team due to her injury well, well, well let's talk about the injury i mean real quick oh yeah you know, no like, we're gonna talk about it 
Yeah, I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All but, right. Yeah, so due to her injury, Nancy was unable to compete in the competition, and it seemed very unlikely that she would be able to compete in the Olympics. So the injury... The knee wasn't yeah. broken. Her leg wasn't broken. It was it was kind of like a, a mixture of bone bruises and just like 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 swelling that rendered her incapable of obviously skating two days after, but also right. for a long time, you know, like seemingly months but, if yeah. she didn't work on it. Right, but but she was able to recover fairly quickly. Right, and and part of that is because the attack. And as evidenced by the crashing of the glass, is that I mean this is this is a a goofy attack. It's a bad in crime. terms of in in its ex in its execution. I mean this was okay. not parks. This, if you were trying to do some damage, you know. Yeah, like okay. So be, I see what you're saying. You're saying that you would fucking have snapped that ice skater's leg in half. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm this just is, saying. This I could have. No, I'm just saying. No, but the the. Well, and we'll get to it if you don't know the full story, but there is just, I'm just trying to set the seeds of this very obvious strain of incompetence of this whole attack, the bizarreness of it. But yes, if you were really trying to diabolically cause harm, um, there was a lot more harm you could have done because ultimately okay. yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it it was very traumatic for Nancy. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, okay. Not, like a permanent damage physically no 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 not even close and that's kind of the whole fully like remember how on episode one i mentioned that uh well i, I don't want to spoil it for those who somehow don't know the story so I, I won't say that but i will say that uh if i was being paid to break an ice skater's leg or to make sure that they couldn't compete uh it doesn't seem like it would be that fucking hard to do that's all i'm saying so <laughs> that sounds so terrible. Yeah, that's what, but that's what you think. That's what you think. Yeah, right? you're right. You're right. You, it's like it, it's you like walk you watch movies. You stab shoes. someone. Like in the movie, someone gets stabbed. They fall down and die. In real life, it's not like that. You'd think it'd be as easy as just whacking them. No, it's not. It's it's. That's why only like beefy Tony Soprano mobsters break guys' kneecaps and not just like the doofus down the street. Right, and because there's so much there's so much room for error, you know, and then you might actually. Uh, in the middle of it, realize, oh, I'm actually not a cold, a stone cold motherfucker that can just yeah break people's legs. You know, in right. the in the middle of it, and you'd be like, oh shit, what the hell am I, I doing? I probably hit my brother harder than she was hit. <laughs> but again, it's the that's neither here nor there. But so yeah, Tanya returned home not just as the national champion and confirmed member of the Olympic team, but also as a suspect, at least in the public view, in the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. Now Tanya did right not because because Nancy yeah. was able because Nancy Kerrigan could not compete, you know, in that in the championships, you know, it did. There was a direct. It's very suspicious, right? It's but very, also, very I'll say this though: I think that that suspicion wasn't necessarily fair because Tanya did not. She didn't do that great the year before, so I mean. Like, and also, I mean, if you, I'm sure the girls that, you know, the ice skaters that you're going to interview will shed more light on this, but I feel like Tanya would have whooped Kerrigan in, in this particular competition because she jumped from such a low place the year before up to first. So even if Kerrigan had competed, it, it really was anyone's game. 
you know, because like, Tanya had, had improved and, so much. Right. Like, there was two other people in between thing. fourth and first that could have taken it, you know, and, and they didn't. And, and, that's the, that's, and that's the, yeah, as your notes, the buffoonery, the, the Tony Soprano, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this the buffoonery. Crime. Absolute so, buffoonery. Yeah. So, Tanya, she didn't necessarily do anything to bring suspicion down on herself. She even told, and this was a mistake in the eyes of uh, her lawyers, but she even told multiple reporters that she was upset that Nancy was unable to skate because she wanted to, quote, kick her butt. It's like, it's just not a good thing to say. So what brought the initial suspicion down on Tanya was the absolute buffoonery of those involved with the actual crime. Now, again, remember how in part one I described Jeff Galuli and his friends as a pack of goons always looking for a good scam? Yeah. Well, this is the culmination of their goonery. Apparently, the plan to get Nancy out of the picture and without a doubt secure Tanya a place on the Olympic team was devised by Jeff Galuli and his longtime doughy friend and self-proclaimed bodyguard of Tanya, Sean Eckhart. Okay, we got to talk about Sean real quick. Sean wedged himself <laughs> yeah. into Tanya's life as like, he was Jeff's like beer drinking buddy. He was kind of like the Parks to my Ryan or the Ryan to Parks as Parks, <laughs> yeah. And uh, like just like, or actually more more accurately, it's it, like Parks is Jeff. I'm Sean. I'm the doughy one and the stupider one. But you're the mastermind. Uh, <laughs> you're right. So God we're, damn we're it. just a little of both. All right, Sean but, Eckhart uh, is like a character that Will Sasso from Mad TV would play, like that. That's, yes. that's the deal. And like, yeah, he just like, whoop, 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 like a total three stooge and like a loser. And he didn't I mean, really he, have anything going for him. So he would like when Tanya got back from the 94 nationals and everyone's like hounding her, like, what, what did you have anything to do with Nancy? He's like, Oh, back away. Oh, excuse us. Excuse us. Acting like her bodyguard, probably not getting paid, but just being like, you'll need a bodyguard. So like, let me do that for now. And then you can pay me back later. He would. He. I mean, he looks like the kind of guy that would like take pictures of women's butts at a at a bar. <laughs> yeah, Which absolutely. I've seen that done out of maybe because I've seen an individual that looked like him do that at a music venue I worked at. Right. So yeah. No. Okay. Um, Imagine Jeff Kaluli and Sean Eckhart as the Hardy Boys, but they're the hardly any fucking brains boys. Like they're they're, <laughs> they're also the like I'm gonna refer to them a lot as or like they're Laurel and Hardy. They're the fucking goof troop. Like this is fucking mm-hmm. Fatty Arbuckle trying to mastermind like like trying to undermine the mm-hmm. Olympics by masterminding a fucking hit on a professional athlete. So. Mm-hmm. Concerned with Tanya's declining performance in competition, the two doofuses decided to take matters into their own hands. According to those involved, talk of taking Nancy or several other competitors out of the picture was commonplace in the Harding home, but it never seemed like something that would actually happen. With Jeff back in Tanya's life and Sean finding a way to shoehorn himself into the Harding camp, they realized that if she didn't make it to the Olympics, they might actually have to work for a living. So, once again, they took matters into their own hands by paying someone else to take matters into their own hands. Yeah, (laughs) this is where it really... It really gets into that. And I mean, you know, this is where the... You know, this is why a movie was made. And I don't know, maybe, you know, when you're younger, you might... The movie does a great job at portraying the guys, by the way. Like, that's some of the most accurate shit because they're idiots. 
this is one of those things where I mean I've never had anyone closely like this at all but maybe maybe if you're lucky you've had someone that's just a little bit like this you know when you're when you're younger where you just you haven't quite figured out your boundaries of your friend group and there's that one guy that might just kind of yeah just try to insert himself that's collab in a role of bro uh, Let's collab, that? bro. That's the fucking. <laughs> yeah. Those are the Jeff Galulis and Sean Eckharts of nowadays. The guys that don't do shit, and they smell like bong yeah. butter, and they want to collab. Right. If you're, and then if, or if you're, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, sometimes drugs are involved. Where you're, you know, maybe you're you're going to an apartment that you'd rather not be, but there's something you need at the apartment <laughs> that you really need, so you got to get there, and then you just kind of find yourself in the presence of people that you're kind of just. A little freaked out by, well, just I just that's the that's the energy that's the yeah. vibe that you uh, you get from from Eckhart. Exactly, uh, I mean, goon. He's a goonly. He's a character that Will Sasso from Mad TV would play. This is Artie yes. Lang in yes. fucking Dirty Work. Like this is like yeah. So the third and fourth bozos of the Galuli goons were Shane Stant and his uncle Derek Smith. Like that's how you know too. It's like oh no, my buddy and his uncle. Like none of this is sounding good. So. The two of them would travel via bus to Detroit where Shane would do the attacking and Derek would be somewhat of a getaway driver. In recent interviews, Shane Stantz had said that he was paid $6,800 to do the job that at the time he felt was more like hunting an animal rather than crushing a promising young lady's dreams. You know, you know what's probably great about that quote is he probably said that to try and make it sound better. But it makes it sound so much worse. Like he's the Iceman, like, like Richard I mean, Kuklinski. I just, I just, I just thought it was like hunting an animal, you know. Nobody or he wanted to make him my- sound Sopranos. He's like, you know, I just took the job, thinking, hey, it's like fucking hunting an animal. Cash is cash. I just did a yeah, really bad true. job, and my uncle was outside, but he went to fucking Wiener Schnitzel. That's- yeah, so he wasn't there. I had to run down the street, throw the baton in the bushes. Yeah, it's all. You fucking- mentioned uh, the Iceman, and I think that that was originally on HBO. Yeah, it was the Iceman interview. Yeah. Um, the be- you know the beautiful, bountiful YouTube, perhaps the greatest um, website of app all time to have ever existed. Uh, the best thing ever, YouTube. You can watch uh, these Iceman interviews. Yeah, uh, and there it's 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 a serious it's a a mafia contract killer who is just talking extremely candidly about his time yeah. uh, murdering people for money. Watch. Uh, and it's quite it's quite fascinating. This would be a great character study. Watch the Sean Eckhart interviews on like Inside Edition where he's <laughs> and, describing and this. And then watch yeah. the Iceman who is committing the most heinous crimes of all time pretty much in an open-air market and never getting caught because he's so good at it. And, and I then guess the- you could say... Sean Eckhart fancied himself an, an ice man. Yeah, an ice skating man. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole deal. So the problem with the entire plan from the start was that none of these guys knew what they were doing, and they had all watched too many movies. Stan mm-hmm. and Smith 
paid for everything on their trip with credit cards, leaving a vastly detailed paper trail that the FBI was easily able to follow back to the payment of $6,800. But what brought the FBI's initial attention to the attacker and his partner was the big fat fucking mouth of Sean Eckhart, who could not help but tell everyone he knew, including his father who turned him in, and a lot of people he didn't know, including every single person at a bar he would go to, that he was the mastermind behind the whole plot. Yeah. This fucking loser yeah. could not help but see the story being covered on the news at whatever shit cheap piss beer bar he was at. He'd be like, you know, I did that, right? You know, that was me. Well, that was me and my buddy Jeff well, Kalouli, yeah. <laughs> our buddy Shane Stan, his uncle Derek Smith. We all you did know, that. Yeah. It reminds me of that, since we're on this mafia comparison, it reminds me of, you know, that amazing scene in Goodfellas when they've just pulled off that huge yes. heist and everyone's making a ton of money and they have a Christmas party and everyone shows up in a new car, <laughs> new fur, fur coats. coats. I told you De not Niro's, to buy shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, te he's telling them, take off your fucking coat. Like, what are you doing? He's like, you're attracting attention. Don't attract attention. Yeah. And, and they can't help it because they got a taste. You know, you yeah. get a little taste of of the money and maybe it was the notoriety of being in the news and the and the Goodfellas story. And obviously here it's on the news now. And so you're drunk at a bar. Right. But he didn't make any not, money. So his whole thing was like, maybe criminal. I could get a drink out of someone if I tell them that I was the one that did this. Rather than showing up in a new fur coat with all the money you made, he's having to and tell also, this story to make up for the money that he had to spend to make this happen. And what do you think is, you know, the... Oh, good job, buddy. Oh, you you, you had know? a guy go and hit a girl in the fucking leg with a fucking piece of metal? Like, great. You're really cool, dickhead. Shot? Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you mean to tell Want me that you're trying to fix professional ice skating when you're in the camp of one of the top ice skaters in the world? Like, how about... But honestly, when I say it out loud... There's a lot of scumbags, and there probably was a bar where he did get some drinks bought for him for that. So let's not put it past you know I, if you're okay if, if you're capable of doing it, and then you're capable of being dumb enough to brag. Someone's capable of buying, buying you a, you a beer for, for bragging. I would buy him a beer just to be like, like keep telling me like this shit. Like I don't know if I believe right. you, but like I like you because well, well, that's fat the other thing is a bar that is dumb. I mean, a bar is also a place that you can uh, meet pathological liars. So it also, yep. who even knows? You just are at a bar and some guy's like, hey, I'm involved in this huge scandal. It also sounds very unlikely because he's probably like, oh, this is some drunk asshole looking for attention. I've met but either so way, many it's fucking weirdos at bars out here in uh, the beautiful city of Hollywood. Like, uh, you know, and you never know until one day they'll just like be like, oh, I finally found that picture I was telling you about. And they're like, oh, you were in the Manson family. That's fucking crazy. But anyways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it's going to get complicated. So stick with us here. Um, here's how quickly all of this shit went down. The attack happens on January 6th, 1994 and Tanya goes on to win the championship on January 8th. Tanya is interviewed by Portland reporter Ann Schatz on local television about the incident on January 11th. During that interview, Jeff was said to be clearly influencing Tanya's responses just off camera. Then, on January 13th, Sean Eckhart and Derek Smith are arrested, followed by the arrest of Shane Stant on January 15th. 
All the while, the media storm surrounding Tanya and Jeff has spiraled completely out of control. Mind you, this isn't just a media storm of paparazzi waiting outside their house, which was definitely happening in the hundreds. They even went so far as to have Tanya and Jeff's cars towed, so they would have to come out of the house because they wouldn't come out unless That's they needed. fucked up. Yeah, so they'd be that like, oh, there's a car illegally up. parked, and a tow truck would come, and then, like, Tanya would, she ran out barefoot once, and they're like, Tanya Harding seen barefoot keeping your car. It's like fucked up shit. That's, that's why... See, that kind of stuff, that's why Bjork had to throw her hands, you know? Yeah, but that was that's different. Like, that was different. And she apologized to just, that lady because all that lady did was say, Bjork, welcome to Bangkok. And then Bjork just fucking just like <laughs> obliterated her. That's on 100 most shocking seems, moments of rock and roll, dude. I know that like the back of my hand. It just seems so annoying. But like it's fucked and that's, up. That's, you're fucking with their car like that? I mean. Yeah. And they would order pizzas to their house. Like just anything they could do to get them to open up the door. But again, now, I mean, this is just the media as in news media and paparazzi. We're not even talking about Saturday Night Live every fucking Tonight Show. I mean, there wasn't a single Tonight Show host or late night host that didn't use this this in their monologue. This is such fodder. I mean, it's just because it's, I mean. Bootleg t-shirts. Low hanging, you know. It's like uh, Rachel Dolezal. Is she a dump? (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's like any fucking major scandal that happens. So they're going through this, but Tanya and Jeff still haven't been brought in. Now, Tanya's lawyer held a press conference proclaiming his client's innocence on January 16th, 1994. Just three days before, so that's January 19th, Jeff Galuli turned himself in to the FBI and began spilling his guts and also implicating Tanya in the crime. One day before Jeff surrendered, Tanya was interviewed for over 10 hours by the district attorney and the FBI, and it was during that interview that she announced that she was officially separated from Jeff, and the two would never be back together again after that. Thank God, but a little too late, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, way too late. Through the FBI interrogation, it was discovered that there was a decent amount of evidence proving that while Tanya may not have been aware of the plans to attack Nancy, she was more than likely aware of the goon squad's involvement after the fact, failing to report what she knew was a crime in itself. Now, the way that this came up was apparently someone that worked at a... This is so roundabout. Someone that worked at a restaurant found a note in their trash that had all these details like the Detroit ice skating rink where the nationals were being held, where Nancy was going to be at the time that her practice slot was Mm -hmm. like all this weird shit that only someone involved would know. And it was in a female's handwriting and that was turned into Schatz, the reporter that interviewed Tanya. She brought up Tanya. Tanya's like, Nope, not mine. But that became the leading like point of evidence there. Um, now, upon learning, I mean, the- yeah, my, fi- yeah, sorry, my, I yeah. think one of my favorite parts of crime stories are once the 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 period after the crime has been committed, right, in which the people haven't been caught and they're sort of just enacting in this very surreal attempt to cover up and be normal. To me, the all those in those what kind of behavior goes on is just truly 
like fascinating to me. Absolutely. Like, um, and I mean, but Tanya wasn't yeah. really doing anything because she didn't have a chance to do anything. Also, keep in mind, she's having to practice this whole time. So she's going to like she didn't have a private ice skating rink to go to. She's having to go to like the local mall that had an ice skating rink where she's landing mm-hmm. triple axles and stuff. Well, like crowds of up to 400 people are surrounding it let alone reporters and stuff flashing cameras cheering for her yelling you fucking hit nancy or we support you tanya whichever it may be and she's getting ready for the fucking olympics through all this so yeah it's completely crazy yeah i mean when you watch the videos of her practicing in between the olympics and after the attack she can't go anywhere and be by herself this is a full-on shitstorm i mean this is like the biggest sporting scandal of the 90s. Yeah, you know? maybe of all time. Like, OJ it, not included. Yeah. Because so, it's not about sports. Upon so. learning the details of Tanya's wrongdoing, the United States Figure Skating Association announced they would be launching their own investigation to decide whether or not Tanya should be barred from professional competitions. But rather than suspending her immediately, the association decided to allow her to skate in the Olympics and not suspend her until after the association's hearing took place. So Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan hit the ice together on February 17th. This is this timeline, by the way, do you notice how small this is? This window of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nancy Kerrigan within like a month of being attacked by a fucking paid thug is Mm -hmm. back on the ice. So February 17th, 1994, for a highly publicized, you know, they hit the ice together, highly publicized practice session in preparation for the 1994 Winter Olympics held in Lillehammer, Norway. And like Tanya had like one of the top reporters in the world with her at the time, like following her there, who later said, I would have never gone or been interested in ice skating had this not have happened. But like that, that was my assignment. So they're seen on the ice together and they're kind of ignoring each other. Um, but shortly after the attack happened, Nancy had undergone intensive physical therapy and training in order to be ready for the Olympics. Because despite the fact that she was unable to compete in the U.S. Nationals, she was still selected to represent the U.S. of A. at the Olympics. The fucking plan didn't even work. The attack didn't yeah. even it's, work. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, that's How hard the, is the it goon. to break an ice skater's leg? I think it's very hard. I think it's very hard is is going to be my answer. Because first off, these these particular athletes are going to be like surrounded by people at it's not most like they think. times. But it's still going to be it's just going the access to do it and then you have to I mean, you know, I guess we're at this point but basically if you're going to be paid to hurt and kill people, there's still a a skill level to it sure you know All because right. what you're talking about i mean just purely in the sense of a job but what you're talking about is hurting other human beings there is a certain amount of skill and lack of compassion and empathy there's a certain amount of true sociopathic Absolutely. nature you have to have and it's funny you bring up the movies because then that's part of it you watch these movies like goodfellas you watch this stuff and it does glamorize it and you think Oh, I could do that. I and it's like, no, that's actually Robert De Niro pretending to beat people yeah. up and kill people. Yeah, no, and you he's gotta actually hit an actor hard. who, and he's actually spending all of his energy and skill into making it look like he knows how to do it. Right. But then someone else who actually 
can do these things. Yes. Because, I mean, yes, the intention would have been to... Tr I mean, and again, we're making light of it. And she was injured. Nancy Kerrigan was in injured. Sure. And she did recover quickly. But in theory, I mean, this was a nefarious plan. And it the idea was that she would have been severely injured. So, like, the plan was to have yeah, and they blew it badly. And they fucking yes. blew it. So to really sock it to the Harding camp, Nancy wore the same outfit that she was attacked in during this notorious Olympic practice session. Nancy ended up winning the silver medal, whereas Tanya placed eighth overall. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's a decimation, Oof. dude. I mean, sure. Yeah. Nancy didn't win the gold, but Tanya wasn't even anywhere close to getting yeah. anything, you know? And also, it's worth noting, though, that Tanya did have a broken skate lace that she famously skated up to the judges, put her leg up on the judges table and was like, look at this lace. Look at this lace. But and I think that yes, the judges at this point were just like, dude, picture. you are pushing your fucking luck right now by even mm -hmm. doing this. Like, first of all, you've already had wardrobe malfunctions and skate malfunctions before and we're given do-overs. Now you're under all this fucking heat. We know that the guys that you're involved with were a part of this fucking Nancy Kerrigan attack. And you're going to tell us that we need to go easy on you because you're fucking lace? Like, it mm -hmm. just was not a good look. And it's, it's really Tanya at her most desperate. I mean, I will say, and just in in the whole scale of everything we're talking about, I mean, you've probably seen the the lace, you know, Tanya holding her lace up to yeah. the judges. She looks I so mean, the, desperate in her, her face. Her face is just pure anguish. I mean, it is it is such an... I mean, honestly, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of her and Margot Robbie, and Margot Robbie, as great as she is acting, her face is not nearly as... Yeah, it does not depict. I mean, there, there's something very intense about the face she's making in right. that picture. Yeah, of just probably crying, pleading, just, and then thinking about all the shit that's going on. Yeah, in the sidelines. I know. And then really, honestly, I for her entire her. life. Yeah, like probably that lace moment. Just, I mean, that in a way feels like a that's true the whole blow because thing. it's just like, wow, I just can't. Everything is she just can't catch not a break according to plan. No matter yeah. what, she yeah. cannot catch a break. And that's the fucking true tragedy of the Tanya Harding story is this girl cannot catch a break. And uh, but funny part about all this is uh, the gold winner. Uh, she kept crying every time she was interviewed and Nancy's had a hot mic on and she was like, oh my God, what? She going to cry again, ruin all of her makeup. And everyone's like, wow, Nancy Kerrigan's a bitch. And like that became kind of like the reputation that Nancy wouldn't be able to, uh, to escape like a late years later nancy was also like an ambassador at some disney parade and she had a hot mic again and she was like this is literally the worst thing i've ever done this fucking sucks <laughs> and it's just like so nancy is just like well she might be very pretty and very good at skating and she's in campbell soup and revlon ads she was she came off as very unlikable to to the crowds uh after all this yeah mm -hmm. now we're at the great thaw as if the major loss of the Olympics was not enough, 
Tanya was brought to trial for her role in the attack on Nancy Kerrigan and was found guilty. She was sentenced to three years of probation, fined $100,000, ordered to pay the courts $10,000, and ordered to set up a $50,000 charity fund for the Special Olympics. But most devastating of all, she was officially banned from the United States Figure Skating Association for Life, which would prevent her from competing in the Nationals, which would prevent her from competing in the Olympics. Now, the goof troop, they've all been sentenced as well. Jeff was sentenced to two years in prison. Sean Eckhart, Shane Stant, and Derek Smith were all sentenced to 18 months in prison, but none of the four goons ever served their entire sentence. They were all released early. So there's zero justice for Tanya here. As far as justice for Nancy... I mean, Nancy kind of overcame the whole attack and really kind of, you know, made waves and she was doing just fine. It seemed to propel her where it seemed like everything seemed to knock Tanya down, you know. But luckily for Tanya, the then CEO of Nike donated $25,000 to her legal fees and she struck a $600,000 deal with Inside Edition to tell her story. So that's pretty good. But... Unfortunately, again, this girl cannot catch a break. Jeff Kaluli. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Jeff. No, sorry, go yeah, on. No, no. Yeah, Jeff Kaluli, he also found a way to capitalize on the scandal, but in the most nefarious of ways. Jeff had sold nude images of Tanya as well as a grainy self-shot sex tape that we mentioned on our celebrity sex tape episode in order to scrape up some cash, much to the chagrin of Tanya Harding and you know Tanya Harding so, she's she's a gorgeous girl I mean she she's a pretty girl did, you know what I mean did she's you, a professional did you, ice skater did you did you watch it yeah I watched it I have been on television are you saying would I so what'd you what'd you think she's not doing triple axles or nothing but like like I don't, I'll tell you what I'd rather watch Tanya Harding do a triple axel than suck Jeff Galuli's dick okay and that's oh, the fucking God. most crass thing I'll say this hour but another Hi, thing about their sex tape is it's filmed in such an era and his mustache is such that when I watch it, I can't help but be like, this is probably what a sex tape of my parents would look like in this same year. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so yeah, it gets I dark mean, for O'Ryan. Also, I mean, and yeah, it's totally fucked to just, you know, we make some jokes, but just imagining all that. You know, after all that. Yeah. And then, and then a sex tape. And nudes, also, revenge porn, fuck. And also, I mean, you know, the concept of revenge porn was not really like a mainstream idea. And so at this point, Tanya is just associated with so much bad shit and such a villain. Like, that's just the icing on the cake. I just like, oh, and she's a whore, too. You know what I mean? Ugh. Like, it's just no one is uh yeah really she's a whore feeling fucking her husband. Or, but no one no, looks at this no, greasy scumbag. Yeah. Right, but there's just not enough sympathy in this mainstream, you know, media of of that because it's kind of that's kind of the tragedy of of these sex tapes. Sure. You know, like Pam so. and Tommy, I mean same kind of shit, you yeah. know. It, yeah, it's just all fucked up. But I promise you things will turn around by the end of this episode. It's not just going to be this kind of shit. Although it is terrible where we're at. We're at the lowest point 
probably for Tanya mm-hmm. Harding. Um, and, and I do feel for her because like Tanya Harding out of everyone that we've ever covered, I feel like not only, of course I would love to interview her, but I would love to just like take her out to fucking Sizzler and like, you know, hang out and like <laughs> fucking, you know, like, like listen to what she has to say. So the life <laughs> after the ice, <laughs> Tanya Harding's personal and professional life took some strange turns after the smoke of the scandal finally cleared. Tanya acted as a manager for an amateur wrestling promotion. She also formed a band, the Golden Blades, in 1995, who disbanded after one poorly received show. She appeared on Celebrity Boxing in 2002 and continued boxing until 2004 when her asthma prevented her from continuing. We also did a whole episode about Celebrity Boxing, so if you really want to hear more about that, Check out that episode. You probably already did, but she beat the shit out of uh, one of Bill Clinton's, uh, you know, uh, accusers. Uh, she also this is a, this is an interesting thing I found out. She fought Doug Stanhope, the comedian, on the Man Show, but it was but it was fixed because she didn't want to actually fight a man, which is funny because she would have knocked the shit out of Doug Stanhope, but she's like, nope, I won't do like a real fight against a man, which is funny because it's usually the other way around where you'd think that Doug Stanhope was like, no, I don't want to fight a woman. No, he was like, yeah, like I want to fight Tanya Harding, and she's like, no, no, I'm not gonna like fight a man. Um, she was also an undercard at a Mike Tyson match. And overall, her, rest, or her boxing career, she won three matches, lost three matches. And in 1996, this That's is my favorite bad. part. You know what they say? They say, at least she got in the ring. At, at least, least she got, she in, got the in the ring. Yeah. And, hey. yeah. and at least the ring from Jeff Galuli was could, off her finger. So could I, could I win three matches? Highly unlikely. If it's a baby. She's, a, she's, she's an athletic... She's a co- she's, she's an a athlete. She's from the Olympics. And Doug Stanhope, who's famous for smoking cigarettes. No, dude, you you knock the <laughs> shit out of that guy. Um, so, but this is my favorite part of this whole thing, and we're not done yet. But here's my favorite thing: in 1996, she made headlines for giving mouth to mouth and like two and saving the life of an 81 year old woman who collapsed at a bar while she was playing video poker that Tanya Harding just happened to be drinking at. So Tanya's at this bar where they have video poker. Kind of gives you like in your head right now, you know what kind of bar this is. It's not Swank. It's uh, it's not a bar that a uh, ice princess would be at, surely, but Tanya Harding would. And this old woman collapses. Tanya fucking saves her life. That is the sickest shit ever. And also, like, Parks, when you're asking me, like, oh, what'd you think of the video? It's like, well, dude, imagine being, like, like, like Sandlot style where, like, you know that Tanya Harding, like, can save a life. So you, like, fake, like, you're having a heart attack playing video poker. So <laughs> Tanya Harding, like, will come over and give you mouth to mouth. And you're just like, wow. Anyways. <laughs> she also made an appearance al- alongside the dumpable Kato Kalin from the OJ trial on the weakest link 15 minutes of fame edition in 2002. I mean, How like, insulting. That's, so, that's such a 90s, just too. Yeah. But, but like, Kato Tanya Harding is character. not on the. Like, 
Yes, she was like one of the highest publicized scandals ever, and yes, Kato Kalin was a, like an object in the like the highest publicized, you know, the most publicized scandal ever. But they're not on the same level. And then in 2008, she became the host or one of the hosts alongside Danny Bonaducci, one of her celebrity boxing friends, and uh, Todd Bridges, another celebrity boxing uh, alumni, uh, for the caught on camera show World's Dumbest, where it was like. Like, oh, look at these guys trying to break into this liquor store. Oop, they fell through the roof. Or it's like, oh, look, this guy's trying to unload a bunch of wine from this truck. And, oh, shit, the forklift fell over. That guy lost his job. How dumb. Like, it's just, like, shit like that. But it's like, if only they had footage of the attack, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's Yeah, because everyone she was surrounded with were actually the world's dumbest criminals. Now, after her television career fizzled out, Tanya began auto racing for a short period of time. But her primary source of income came from her work as a welder, a painter, and for a brief period of time, hardware salesman at Sears. Ain't nothing wrong with honest work. Now, Tanya would return to television in 2018 on Dancing with the Stars, as well as Worst Cooks in America, Celebrity Edition. <laughs> like, dude, this yeah. woman. I mean, she's a welder. I mean, she sounds rad. She's badass. <laughs> dude, Tanya Harding is the fucking sickest person besides Martha Wash, maybe, that we've covered on Culture Dumps. All right, like there, yeah. there's very Just little the, dumpability about her. It's everything uh, surrounding you know, she's, her. She, she's gonna, she's not gonna let it get her down. You know, exactly. She's a, fi- she's a fighter. Well, throughout all of this, Tanya's personal life continued to have its ups and downs. In the year 2000, she was sentenced to three or ten days in jail, but she served three. Uh, and 10 days of community service after that for hitting her then boyfriend, Darren Silver, which how sleazy of a name is that? Darren oh, well, That's like I Lester Diamond f- from Casino. When I, when I said she's a fighter, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't read this far into the outline. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, she hit him in the head with a hubcap and busted his fucking face open. Um, and then in 2010, yeah. though. She finally settled down and married a man named Joseph Price, to whom she is still married. And the couple have a son named Gordon, who was born a year after they got married. She's very happy. Tanya was given the ESPN treatment in 2014's 30 for 30, The Price of Gold. And in 2017, with the epic biopic based on the life and times of Tanya Harding, I, Tanya. The film took some small creative liberties, but for the most part stayed true to Tanya's story and received rave reviews. It's also worth mentioning that though she wasn't allowed to compete in officially recognized contests, ESPN did have an ice skating competition and she finished second in that in 1999. Now, Tanya Harding currently resides in Vancouver, Washington, where she still ice skates regularly. And people come to see her. They know that she hangs out there. She's still very good. According to our most recent interviews, she's living a happy, quiet life and is very content. She is also happy that the Tanya Harding narrative has finally been given the makeover it deserved. And she is at peace with her reputation and past. So it, yeah. it kind of worked out. No, it, it just took a long yeah. fucking time. But I yeah I do I think the movie did help her immensely, you know, because absolutely it did. It because did. you know because she was so 
closely tied in with these people who did, you know, commit this crime. And sure, she didn't report it maybe when she at, at as soon as she knew. But again, she's kind of I mean, it's kind of one of those things where she, she didn't want to ruin her situation. own life. Like these guys didn't yeah, give a the, shit about her life. Like, yeah. like, but she did. And she's like, but well, that, fuck. But just that association. It's so much easier again with a, you know, with headlines, these headlines to say Tanya Harding, you know, responsible for Nancy Kerrigan attack. Like that's the right. shorter, you know, the shorter the words, the easier it is to send out to more people. If it bleeds, it leads, and, you know, exactly. And so it. And so really, but really it's, it's more complicated than that. And Absolutely. It, and again. And so, and fortunately she had, you know, so, like a, an actually well-made movie and even yeah. does take creative liberties and Margot Robbie, like someone to actually portray it well. Yeah, that cared. And, so, yeah. and I mean, Tanya Harding got to go to the red carpet for that. And I mean, she was then then they did the uh, Hulu's, you know, Truth and Lies, you know, or you can watch it on Hulu. It's from like ABC or NBC or something. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing, you know, and like she is in full control of her story. So what does it all mean? Well, I guess it means that the world is an unfair and cold place, especially if you're existing within the realm of professional ice skating. You see what I did there? There is a lot yeah. to be said for the yeah. archaic standards of femininity within the ice skating world, and Tanya Harding proved that you don't have to be a fairy princess to dominate the sport. Her story is one of misplaced blame and abuse, and the lasting impact of those extremely negative aspects of her life leave a black mark on her reputation to this day. But the truth always makes itself known, and Tanya can rest easy knowing that the world was wrong, and no matter what anyone says, they can never take away her 1991 triple axle. And that's what it means to me. Oh, yeah beautiful yeah so we're gonna put up shit loads of these videos on patreon um we also park started at his new uh his new patreon side series wdump the sound of the dump which is uh, brown note radio <laughs> brown note radio which is our uh our only music centric show that, that we have up there. I do docu-dumps and a couple other things, but that's going to be fun. So patreon.com slash culture dumps for all sorts of uh, extra stuff. If you can't get enough of us, uh, we're going to have a new dump for you next week, as we always try and do. And uh, follow us on Instagram at culture dumps. Send us suggestions, comments, and everything else at culture dumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Parks Miller. Keep on dumping. Why? Why?